It shouldn't be how do I get through this. It should be how do I, how do I understand this child and learn what this child needs and and how to foster and grow this kid. Like how do I do that? That should be the thing that I'm most interested in. If we're not excited about being there and being a, a good supportive adult for every kind of kid we could possibly have, like what are we doing? Like why are we here? I can't tell you how old this makes me feel, but I'm going to say it anyway. School just isn't the same as when we were kids. It's a whole different world. And I'm sure you've experienced that and know that by now. And while I could easily be referring to policies and the way that kids are taught math, I'm not. I'm referring to the social universe, the obstacle course that kids navigate day in and day out. And one of the hardest things about how school has changed is that it really doesn't matter when the bell rings. It all continues on social media and smartphones. They don't get a natural break from it. And they need you to help them find balance, but also to help them navigate a world that you didn't ever really know. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. Before we jump into this episode, a couple of announcements I'd like to make. Number one, if you're a first-time listener, or if you have found us and have been listening along, but you haven't actually gone back and listened to the earlier episodes, you need to pause this episode and go back. There's a method to the madness here. Season one is full of stories from parents just like you, and it really is the best place to begin. Number two, we are actively working on building a community for you. We have a Facebook group and a Discord. The Facebook group is called Camp Wildheart Community, and it is totally private. The Discord server is also private, but requires you to request access via email at camp at wildheartsociety.org, or the link is also embedded in the Facebook group, but we're trying to keep it all private. Number three, this one is probably the most exciting one. We're doing our very first in-person Camp Wildheart. Wildheart Society has reserved space at Sequest State Park, which is about halfway between Seattle and Portland. It's a family-style camp, so parents, trans kids, and siblings are all welcome, and the Wildheart Society team will be providing a full camp experience, complete with programming to create a one-of-a-kind event where families will be able to connect with each other, kids can be 100% themselves, and everybody's going to learn things about themselves that's actually relevant to their lives. Plus, real-life campfires. We'll be roasting marshmallows, singing stupid camp songs, and wading into the wilderness. For more information, go to wildheartsociety.org slash events slash camp. All right, now for the good stuff. Or the really good stuff, because that other stuff was good too. Today I'm talking to a California-based English teacher named Flint. When I first set up this interview, my intention was to seek out someone who could help you all understand what kids are really facing in schools how to support them while they're trying to get their education, and how to communicate with teachers to help them understand the unique needs of your student. What I got was so much better than that. We started talking, and then we just kept talking. We finished the time we'd set aside for the interview, and then we talked for a whole nother hour. So we're breaking this interview down into two episodes to make it a little easier to follow, as well as easier to digest but we're dropping him at the same time so you can experience all of the magic of this conversation for yourself. Flint is an English teacher in Southern California. They are white, use they, them pronouns, is vegan, is married to an artist, and is non-binary. 
They're the kind of person that really goes out of their way to make sure that students and colleagues and friends are valued and appreciated. They play and coach roller derby and have cultivated a large social media following on multiple platforms simply by sharing their genuine and authentic experiences as a trans teacher. You can find them on TikTok and Instagram at just Flint is fine. All one word. Just Flint is fine. They also have a podcast with another California teacher named Sky. It's called Two Trans Teachers. So if you like what you hear today, there's a lot more of Flint to follow and learn from. Without further ado, here's part one of two of my magical talk with Flint. Did you have to teach during the pandemic? I'm sure you oh, did. Oh, yeah. I've been, te- I've been teaching for 10 years. And so, yeah, I taught through the pandemic. Was that just the worst? It was. Um, I, you know, pandemic teaching, right? Like most parents, I think, have only experienced one side of pandemic teaching where they were on that side and they're, you know, trying to ma- manage one to four or more kids, right? Like at, at the same dining room table. But like from from my side, I spent most of the pandemic in an empty classroom with a laptop open and 40 little black squares. Some of them were initials. Some of them were bedposts. Some of them were ceilings and ceiling fans. This year is top three for the worst teaching years of my career. And we, we can talk about that if you want to talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to. This year that we're in right now is probably one of the worst years of my life. I would do this year over and over and over again, like Groundhog's Day this year, before I would do any pandemic teaching <laughs> ever again. It's soul crushing because like, you know, you don't go into teaching like, man, I really hope I get to sit alone in an empty office um, and just lecture into a void. Like nobody wants that. And there was a lot of rhetoric about teachers must have it so easy right now. I would I would die a thousand deaths before I would do Zoom teaching. Oh, my God. It's awful. I, well, I went switched from in-person sessions to telehealth sessions. You said soul crushing. It's so that's accurate. Like, and it's I felt it's that awful. so terrible. Um, why has this year been the worst year? So this year has been the worst year because my this is actually one of your first questions. I think was talking about my online platform. So I have a TikTok and that TikTok has over one hundred and sixty thousand followers now. So I have a pretty I have a pretty wide audience. Um, this is my first year with that wide of an audience. I've only had a TikTok for a year and a half, and so last school year it's like thirty forty thousand. No one really knows anything about it. But this year I actually have a pretty wide audience, and which means Fox News found me. Oh no. They found me. You never. You ever seen Chicago? It's like he ran into my knife ten times. Fox News found me four times. They wrote the same article four times um, because just easy. To, they were upset that I have a, a library. I have an LGBT library in my classroom that I've been cultivating with uh, our club, like our queer alliance on campus. I've been cultivating it for eight years, but now it's a thing that anybody knows about. And Fox News got a hold of it, and they wrote, "Oh man, just." They can they can ride that line right up to slander and <laughs> like they, they know exactly where that legal limit is where they can just add as many superlatives as they want. So it was it was awful, terrible, terrible article. It made me look like um, not good, right? Like I, I won't get into the specifics of it. I really hope nobody ever reads it because I don't want to give them the clicks, right? But it resulted it resulted in you know just waves and waves and waves of you know they found. They published my full dead name on Fox News, which is oh a thing that God. is not available online. Yeah. Full dead name. They found my school in my school district, which I do not have posted anywhere online. So I got, I got doxxed, right, by Fox News. So they went and found my school's email address, my school's phone. Oh, my God. They start flooding my phone, my school. Yeah. Awful. 
four times this year, right? And so most recently it resulted in my school getting a bomb threat. Yeah, like a huge problem, right? So this has just been a nightmare year. Must be doing something right. <laughs> right, everyone's, I, I was having a phone call with my dad about it because, you know, I'm not going to stop. The, the, the point of this, right, the point of articles like this and threats like this is that they don't like that we exist. Right. They really don't love the idea that there's a trans person in front of kids who's showing them that you can be a happy, functioning, healthy person into adulthood as a trans person. They really just do not want that. And so the goal, I assume, is to deplatform me, to make it harder for me to reach people to talk about my experiences as a trans teacher. But I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to stop making little videos. I'm not going to stop going on podcasts. I'm not going to stop writing articles because I really care about this and I know it's important. So I'm having a phone call with my dad about it. Um, and he keeps telling me how bleak everything is and how terrible it is. And I'm like, Dad, I need at least one good thing. Before we finish this phone call, you need to say at least one nice thing to me about all of this. And he goes, well... I'll say two nice things. One, if they don't like you, you've got to be doing something right. And two, you look really cute in every picture that they found. <laughs> I think that was important to me. I looked through it. That was my first thought. You know, the worst day of my life was the day I opened. Well, not maybe not the worst day of my life. That's hyperbolic, right? I've had worse days. But when I looked at that article for the first time and I'm like, dealing with the reality of suddenly having my my name my old name and my school and and you know, worrying about my, my physical safety. I'm like, man, but that's such a cute picture. They picked such a good picture of me. And I just don't understand that. I don't get it. Why? I'm like, because, you know, I looked good. If you're going to be their representation of the devil, then they should show like the cutest version so that people, people know <laughs> not to be tricked. That's right. It's like, hey, don't, don't let their, their soft brown eyes mm -hmm. and their, their supple complexion fool you. That's right. <laughs> they're really they're indoctrinating your children that's that's the goal Death. that they are that's what i'm here for yeah. <laughs> for sure <laughs> every time i hear that right and i think about like you know trying to to brainwash or indoctrinate kids which of course is nonsense like that's not how being alive and being trans isn't indoctrinating anyone but anytime i hear that i think about like if i had a top five list for things i'd indoctrinate my students into mm -hmm. it would be like you know read all of mary shelley's frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> number one it would be it would be double check that your submission went through before you close your computer at eleven fifty nine. Mm. it would be come to the writing conference that you scheduled with me <laughs> ahead of time mine would be um put down your phone <laughs> <laughs> go outside <laughs> drink some water i think we all need to be indoctrinated into drinking more water so you had this really intense interaction with Fox News. Four, four intense interactions. Four with Fox News, intense yes. interactions. And a bomb threat. Yes. It's my first one. Um, which, you know, I, I have another um, really close trans teacher friend that, like, we're, we'll talk later. I have a podcast. I have, I have a podcast, yeah. right? I do another. I saw that. With, with, yeah. uh, with Sky, a, a teacher in, in Los Angeles, who um, literally got written about by the, in the same, by the same author, the same author on Fox News and posted within 24 hours of mine. So there's an author who works there, author, journalist, whatever, who, who works there. And that's her beat is just writing about teachers. That's all she does is she goes and she finds teachers to slander. Um, and so, yeah, like we would both been receiving a lot of threats, um, but this one was, was very substantial. Um, yeah. So very scary. I think that it's, you know, when we talk about 
being trans, the realities of being trans and being public and open um, and being in a profession like teaching, um, I wouldn't change it, right? Like I wouldn't change anything about myself. I love being trans. I love, I love who I am. I don't wish I was somebody else, but I think there's a reality that we have to, to understand that we're still living in a time and a place in which our, our existences act as a threat. Um, other, other people see us as threatening just because we're here, right? Just because I'm, I wake up every day and go to school and teach my kids. Some people see that as a threat to their way of life, which is really sad. It's really sad for them because we have a lot to offer. It's really sad for them. I just continuously come back to like, people don't know what they're missing out on. Yeah. I mean, talk about a group of people who are willing to say like, oh, I don't really like how that works. So I'm going to try it a different way, right? I'm going to figure out what feels good for me. I'm going to be courageous enough to like live my truth, which so many people just don't, won't, can't do. And I see, I think the thing is your reason why they should accept us is exactly what is so threatening to them, right? This idea that the boxes that they've built their lives in and the, the boundaries that they've constructed that shape their reality are there. They aren't real. Um, or they've been stifling and holding themselves down and keeping themselves from being free. And trans people are at a direct affront to that. We, we realize that the constructions around us aren't real and we, we take control of and we change our, our world for ourselves in a positive, great way. And we survive it and we thrive and we are joyful and we have great connections with other people and we are living, breathing, walking evidence that you don't have to accept the nonsense that is imposed on you. Um, and I think that, that that's the thing that's threatening and frustrating and scary when, you've, when you live in those constructions and you, if you're miserable under those constructions and you don't do anything about it and you see someone else who's strong enough to, then you can either adapt or, or you can push back. You can live in fear. And I think a lot of them live in, in fear. It's a very scary thing to like wake up in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s and go, I did everything that they told me I should do. And one, I don't feel like I really lived. Or two, I'm looking at my grandson and they're living this life that I didn't even know was a, like I never thought would have been possible. I have heard from parents and from grandparents. I'm so envious that they get to live in this world that they get to uh, like i think that if i had had a different lived in a different time i would probably be a different person and i'm like there's no time um but you're still alive that's not too late <laughs> and you know if i could use kind of like an outdated analogy because i think about this a lot when i think about the, these generational um lines of envy right because i feel it too i look at gen z trans kids and i'm so envious um that they they are are living in options that I didn't know existed until well into my, my, my late 20s, early 30s, right? But I think about when I was in grad school, when I was finishing, um, at, when I was in grad school, they had this rule for a really long time that you had to do your, one of your final drafts via um, typewriter. They had a typewriter rule. You had to type things out on a typewriter. And the professors were all very glued into this concept because they were like, this way, you, you make all your edits by hand and you have to be intentional with each page, right? You go through each page, you make those edits, you have to do your final draft via typewriter, which is bananas. <laughs> That's an insane rule. 
that is bonkers. Why? Why would you do that? And one of the one of the things that came through pretty often was, well, the next group needs to do that because the group before did it. Mm. Right? And then the group before did it. Why should the next group that comes into this master's program, why should they have it easier? Why should they be able to use Google Drive? Ugh. We had to do it the hard way. That right there, and why should they have it easier? That phrase. Because that's the point. Oh, my that's gosh. That's the point of living generationally, right, is we want the next group... We want the next generation to have the the freedom and the ability to do things a little bit better and to be a little bit happier and to be a little bit more complete and to be a little bit freer. But we're so caught up in our own bitterness that we didn't get to experience it that way, mm-hmm. that we can either be excited for them, we can be stoked that, that the next generation gets to have all these options, or we can be frustrated that we didn't get to have it, that it wasn't that way for us. But I think some of them can't even really articulate that that's why. Oh, right? no. They've got... Because maybe the box that they were living in is different than the one that their kid is breaking out of. Yeah. They're frustrated because they were restricted by misogyny. They're restricted by classism, right? They're restricted by ableism. They're restricted by something else. And they're frustrated to see that their kids don't have to experience that, even if they don't know necessarily how to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, we hear that all the way down to, like, parenting tactics, right? Like, just, like, the very basic spank, no spank um right like well i got beat uh so right who does that serve like who's benefited by that by that continuing the challenging thing for parents oftentimes is not only the the fear of like i have to rethink my entire world um my kid is making me rethink my entire world but also i've noticed that a lot of parents get stuck in this place of i spent my entire life trying to live in this world, trying to not make waves, trying to stay in my box. And my kid is shoving me out of it. And I either have to choose to now like do all of the scary things that I have tried to avoid my entire life so that I can show up for my kid the way that I need to, because I'm, that's the kind of parent that I am. Uh, Or I can continue to like walk my status quo and stay in my box and destroy my relationship with my child. And I think that happens to every parent and child, right, regardless of their circumstance. And so that's that's true for trans kids, but that's true for just parenting. For sure. Um, you know, after 10, I, I don't have any kids. I'm going to pass. They're very sticky. They look very nice. Um, everyone else, I can't I can't wait to be my my uh, my nibblings call me Entel. That's my my phrase, Entel. And then my wife goes by Entie. Um, so we're NT and Entel. Um, and I really love them, right? Like I just got to meet, um, my, my little baby niece and I love kids from afar, but, um, as from a teacher, right, I get to see what parenting looks like 200 different ways every year. I get to see what parents, parents and their relationship with their kids, because I know way more about relationships between kids and their parents than the parents I think anticipate that I do. They, they share, especially I teach English, right? Oh man. Give a kid, give a kid a piece of paper and a pencil in an afternoon, and they'll tell me everything, right? Like every family secret that you think, right? Like I'll get everything. Um, I think a I lot of parents being that kid. <laughs> a lot of parents go into it thinking it's like build a baby, right? That they can anticipate sort of what their kid is going to be like, what their kid's going to like, and who their kid is going to hang out with, and what their kid studies, and um, what subjects they care about, and where they're going to go to school, and what kind of career they're going to have, right? And and kids love just knocking down all those expectations. And so 
they shove you out of that box. If it's not gender, it's going to be something else, right? You you have this kid, you pictured like, oh, my kid's going to be a lawyer. And it's like, God, ah, it's musical theater, bro. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. It's a musical theater. It's musical theater. And also they hate baseball. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, don't care so that you, you, you season don't, tickets. Don't care. Yeah. They, you don't get to do build a baby. Um, sometimes it works out, right? Sometimes you have a kid and that kid ends up being everything you anticipated. But man, is that that's a minority experience. We almost always are going to end up with kids that are different than what we expect. And thank God for it. How boring, right? How boring would it be? I've said over and over again that my son is... I mean, both my kids really, but my son's my first. So um, best teacher I've ever had about myself. I have learned more parenting him about myself than I think I did in the 28 years that came before his birth. Such a gift. And also, I do not recommend parenting to everyone. <laughs> like, I know plenty of people who are it like... It seems like you have to do it. It's not. Don't you have to do it every day? Uh huh. And sometimes in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. It's like being an RA, but forever. Yeah. But that's what parenting is, right? Like, it's I signed up to do that every single day. And that's that word unconditional, right? Is that yeah. you've, you've made this. And I think sometimes we say unconditional, we don't necessarily know what that means or what that's going to ask of us later. We say we're going to love somebody unconditionally. Like, you have to love someone who's covered in hives at two in the morning. And you can't just be like, hey, you know what? Can you just figure this out? I'm really tired right now. Um, yeah. That's what happens with our with trans kids, right? Is that we end up in this place where we have a child that um, is putting us in a situation that we don't necessarily know what to do next or how to be right for them, how to be a good parent for them. Because every parent, I think, sets up wanting to be a great parent. I I haven't dealt with a parent, well, maybe a couple, but over my 10 years being a teacher, even parents I really disagree with, even parents that I, I have had lots and lots of struggles with, no parent is coming in hoping to mess this up, right, or, or trying to do something that actively harms their kid. They just have different ideas about what the right move is, and yeah, they, they want to know. I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that. Even parents who in, are doing the exact opposite of what I would tell them to do, I really believe are coming at it from a place of I want what's best for my kid yeah and if I can even if I be, like think like you are harming your child so much if I can still sit in that space of you want what's best for your kid we can go with that we can move from there if I just come in and shame a parent like straight out the gate right like they're not going to move they're going to dig in and nothing's going to get solved I just don't think that any parent wants that kind of existence for their kid. Like the kind where they're like constantly in conflict with each other. Yeah. Kids don't want to be in conflict with parents. That's something parents don't know. Um, kids don't want that. Parents don't want that. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, it's just lacking the language. We don't know necessarily how to talk to each other. Um, and, you know, you can't rely on a 14 year old to have the emotional maturity to figure out how to communicate their needs. I think a lot of parents forget that once your kid starts looking like an adult, that doesn't mean that they just are one. They don't just snap into adulthood and have a complete understanding of how to talk to you. And so I think that's when I'm talking to parents, that's the first thing we always discuss is how can we get to a place where your kid feels safe and comfortable and able to talk to you about where they're, where they're at and they don't just shut down. Because I think a lot of parents of teenagers 
trans or not trans are, are having that experience where a kid just sort of shuts down in the middle of a conversation because they don't know how to talk to you and they don't know how to talk to any adult. Yeah. When I'm just curious, I know what I do in that situation or what I would tell parents to do. What do you tell parents to do or how does that work? <laughs> okay. This is going to be kind of a long answer. I'm going to do my best. Um, this has been a really rough year for relationships between teachers and parents. I think that politically, we are often set as adversaries, right? Like people who will, will go in and say like, we're, we're the parents' advocates. We're not here for the teachers, right? We're here for parents. But parents and teachers are really uh, on, the same, on the same trajectory, right? We both want to help figure out how to get this person to, to grow and to come into themselves and to reach their full potential, right, as a, as, a, as a person. That's what we want together. So we have the same goals. And so oftentimes if I'm having a conversation with a parent, it's because that so the communication is broken down somewhere but between the three of us, right? And so if I'm talking to a parent about how to break through a kid shutting down, it's usually because they're not asking the right questions or they're not listening when the kid is answering. Um, we all have like the, how was school today? Right, like that's the go-to. How was school today? Fine. Because that's a huge question, right? Like they're, I don't think a lot of parents really grasp how gigantic a school day is and how much happens, right? You have before 7 a.m., there have been 14 breakups in the hallway um, and, you know, the school bus was bedlam. And then you have four or five classes and lunch and, and the breaks in between and assign like it's a, it's a massive day in which a million things happen. And so sometimes when you ask how was school today and the answer is fine, that's because they just don't know how to give you specific information. They don't know what you're looking for either. Right. And so I think that generally the more specific parents can get by asking questions of their kids, um, the better that communication is going to be and questions without accusations behind them. Because I think when we have an antagonistic relationship with, with our kids, um, then that, that, that's going to anticipate their, their shutdown. They're going to shut down a lot faster if they feel like they're being interrogated versus you actually want to learn about what's going on. And so maybe some, the best way to figure that out, the best way to, to ask those specific questions is to know more about them, to know about... Genuine curiosity. Yeah, yeah, the curiosity is really where it's at, right? Like you don't just ask because that's what you're supposed to do at the end of the day. Like, how was school? Fine, all right, now let's talk about dinner. Genuinely be curious about what's going on in your kid's life. Um, know the names of their friends. Um, their teachers, what class, if you have a, we have a rotating schedule, know what classes they have on a given day, right? Like have a copy of their schedule and be like, oh, like you had English with Flint today, right? Like you guys have been working on that satire project. Does that, did that get turned in this week? Like how'd that go? Did you hear any weird presentations? Because the answer is yes. <laughs> the, the presentations were bonkers. And so by, by having more specific stuff to ask, you can, you can signal to a kid really early that you're listening to them and that you care about what's going on in their life. And I think that we're, it's sort of like beaten out of us throughout life. Don't be curious. Don't be curious. Curiosity is not safe. Um, I do this exercise with families a lot where I'll have them sort of like draw their comfort zone on a piece of paper and then I'll tell them to like essentially map where their emotions are. So I'll be like, okay, everybody write down sadness and then circle it and figure out where it goes into your comfort zone. And um, I always do curiosity. And... Uh, kids it's almost always like towards the center of the circle and parents it's almost always like it moves a little bit 
away. And then when we start to talk about what it means, it, they're like, oh, actually, it should be outside. Okay, got it. It should be outside the circle. Um, they're like, no, I'm totally a curious person. But then they really get into it. I'm like, how do you feel about your kid being curious about things? About things about sexuality, about things about drugs, about things that are about like kids that you don't know. And they're like, oh, I do not like any of that. I'm like, great, move, th move your circle. <laughs> because they have to be aware about how the curiosity for themselves has shifted. Like they, there's a list that people kind of curate around, like these are the things that it's okay to be curious about. And as we age and as we grow, that list gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think Gen Zers, having grown up almost entirely on the internet, um, aren't gonna have that nearly as much, um, I'm, I suspect. Gosh, I hope so. I think that you know, you've know you accidentally circled in on my love language because curiosity is one of my favorite things to talk about. Like I, when I talk about like my relationship and my marriage, like with my, with my wife, um, to be curious is to be loved, right? To, oh, yeah. to, to really want to know where somebody else is coming from and why, right? That's the root of empathy too. It's not just like, oh, you, you have this feeling, I'm gonna deal with whatever that is. It's like, why, why? where does that come from? Like, okay, like I've, I've mentioned that something bothers me and that you've shut down and you're feeling guilty. It's like, okay, where's that guilt coming from? Like what, what part of your past is accessing that? How can I be a better communicator in this moment, right? Like really, really wanting to know, not just wanting the conflict to end or wanting that moment to end and hoping to push back, push past it as fast as possible, but really, really digging into that curiosity. I think that's so essential to being in a in relationship with someone, and that's you know with a with a partner or or with a student. I think that a lot of times um, people ask me like how to how to just be a better teacher um, in any subject, and and curiosity about your students is really my go-to. Like I I don't just tolerate my kids talking at me right at the beginning and end of class. I don't just go by and and check off. Common Core State standards to make sure they're having the right conversations. I very genuinely want to know what my students feel, why they feel it, why they think the way they do, what connections they're making. I think it's fascinating, and I love watching them grow um, into better writers and speakers and thinkers. And you have to have that curiosity and that love of curiosity to be, I think, an effective teacher. You're, I, I mean, I don't know what it takes to be an effective teacher, but that sounds good. Um, I, it certainly takes curiosity to be an effective therapist, um, right? Like, I think that I say the words, I'm so curious, like 10,000 times a day. And I got um, a, little, a little about me. I got divorced last year. Uh, and my partner now, like the thing that drew me to them, I was like, you ask the best questions. You are so curious and genuine, like genuinely curious about me. And they were like, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> you want to be known. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I think that, you know, to, to glue all this together, I think about, you know, if I'm in a bad mood and I'm, I'm just frustrated and kind of stomping around my house, I think a really good partner, which I have, a really good partner isn't just annoyed, but is curious, right? It's like, hey, like, what's going on? like really, really wants to know what's going on and wants to figure it out and wants to help and wants to know, not only wants to know what's wrong, wants to know all the ways in which you can be um, comforted and consoled and that you can be soothed 
right? All of those things they're curious of as well. Like we have a, a, this is like a little bit sappy and I'm sorry for this, but we have, a, the, you know, on the notes app on your phone, we each have a notes app that lists our favorites of everything under as many categories as we could think of. Like if you're going to a bar and your, your wife is across the hall um, and you're up there and you have to order, I have a list of, of what she likes from different bars um, or, you know, favorite order from Taco Bell or whatever, right? Like a million different favorites. Cause it's just nice to have in, in case your memory fails you, you know, all this curiosity we've developed over the last several years synthesized. It's <laughs> beautiful. Or for, or for kids, right? Like I think about every once in a while, I, I have a kid that goes nonverbal sometimes in, in my class. Um, and, and he'll let me know on the way in. So he'll hold, hold up his phone and it'll say like, Hey, I'm not going to talk today. And I'm like, cool. Sounds good. Um, but if it just ended there, that, that would be, you know, that would be fine. But, but I have a, a deep curiosity for my students, but also in a way that I want to be respectful of their boundaries as well. And so like, I'll drop by and leave him little post-it notes, um, on his table as check-ins, right. And be like, like, Hey, like, I'm going to come back around in a little bit. Tell me how you're doing. Like circle. Yes. No, I need help. Right. Like, and then afterwards, before he leaves, it's like, Hey, like, I would love to know where this is coming from. If you need more help or if there's something else I can be doing. Like that, that constant check-in, the constant curiosity as a way to let a student know that not only are they there and seen, but like are, are loved. Like I, I care about them and want them to be comfortable when they're, you know, they're in my, my room, my space. That's freaking beautiful. I wish so many other teachers I know could embrace that. Um, not just even the, the curiosity of that, but like the idea of like not needing a kid to, like you're meeting that kid right where they're at. Right. You're saying like, that's where you're at. Cool. We're still going to do some learning today. And that's awesome. You're here. Let's do this. That kid knows like it's totally OK to show up however they are. Yeah. And and genuinely OK, too. Right. Like yeah. I think that Fred Fred Rogers, right. Mr. Rogers always said that kids can he didn't say it like this, but kids can smell bullshit from a mile away. Right. Like if he said it, however, Fred Rogers would say it. But they know when you're being genuine. Yeah. Right. Students, my students know when someone is asking how they are just because they have to and when someone is asking because they really want to know they can tell i know they can tell because they tell me all the time in my office that teacher doesn't give a shit about me or that my parent you know my dad's girlfriend like she she's not interested in learning anything about my gender journey or anything about me she just wants to use the wrong pronouns and move on with their life i wish i could spread it that willingness to just sort of like see them and not need to change them yeah you know let them be on their journey and be a part of the journey but not like you have to fit my box in order for me to interact with you yeah as um as the great rosie o'donnell said in the nickelodeon classic harriet the spy there are as many ways to live as there are people in this world right? oh my god yes <laughs> I love that one. That's a great one. And I think about that with my kids all the time, right? Like maybe that's one of the things that has made me a more patient and curious person is that I've seen a million different ways to be alive. Um, and and it's just every time I have an, a new kind of kid that surprises me in a new kind of way, I want to be excited about it. And I, I hope that parents feel that way, or at least I want parents to feel that way where their kid defies an expectation or surprises them. And I want them to be curious about it and not fearful. Because that that fear, I think, is maybe the the counterbalance to curiosity. When you're talking about, you know, the comfort level and whether or not curiosity exists in their comfort circle, 
I think sometimes the thing that pulls it out is fear. Yeah. Well, I don't want my, I don't want my kid to be curious about these things because I'm scared of what that would mean for them or what it would mean for our relationship or what it would mean for us. And so let's just not think about it and not talk about it. But I think that, you know, if we're going to be evidence-based, which we always are in education, right? We can't make any choice. I can't even sneeze without making sure that it, it fits the data. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, if we're going to be evidence-based about it, wanting to be curious, choosing to be curious is always going to benefit a student rather than giving into that fear, right? I've never seen a kid benefited from shutting down, from not talking about something. They, they never are given an opportunity to grow or be the best version of themselves. Totally. Totally. Kind of brings me to one of the questions that uh, we talked about before, and that is when parents are advocating for their kids in school. When I'm just, I sort of like, oh, I guess the first thing I should tell parents is to get curious about what their school experience is like. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know how to advocate for your student if you don't know what their experience at school is. And if you just say, how was school today? And they say, fine, right? Like that, that's all you got. But but learning, what is it like? Not even just with one teacher, but with all, if you're in high school, right, or in middle school, all the teachers. And then What's it like with the attendance office? What is it like with the school bus driver? What is it like with the campus security officers? What is it like with um, the principal or, you know, any of the millions of adults that they deal with or other kids, knowing who those people are? Because you might have a great experience with four out of five teachers, but a bad experience with, you know, the person who directs traffic or the school nurse or whatever, right? Knowing who these people are and what their experience is like with them throughout the day, I think is critical to knowing how to advocate for your kid. One of the questions that I like to ask kids is like, who in the building has your back? Yeah. Right? Like, who do you feel like you can go to? Because I don't just assume it's the school counselor. Um, most of the time it's not. It's often uh, not, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's often the art teacher, uh, the English teacher, the every now and then I get the school security officer. Ooh, but that's a rare one. Yeah. But the art teacher and the English teacher are almost always like, they're great. I can talk to them. I think there's always like the art. If you don't have an emotional support arts teacher, did you really grow up queer? Right? Like that's. <laughs> 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 like I I have that every once in a while where someone asks what kind of what what subject I teach, and I'm like, oh, I do film and English. They're like, yeah, I know. Like I, <laughs> I could tell that from everything about you, right? Mm -hmm. I remember a, I have a very clear memory of running up to my high school English teacher, who I'm still friends with, um, and running up to her in the hallway and be like, I figured out what I want to be when I grow up. And she goes, is it an English teacher? <laughs> and I was like, yes, it is. And then I went to college and I majored in English for a hot minute. And then I discovered that I liked relationship work better. So I, th you know, I get that every once in a while. I'll get students that say like, I want to do this. I want to be an English teacher. But the thing they're actually saying is I want to be an adult that makes the kids around me feel seen. Like that's the thing they want. They want they want to be some sort of force for good in their communities. And like you're the example they have of that. So they think that you have to be an English teacher to do that. But then they find out you have to um, like learn Chaucerian English. And they're like, you know what? Actually, I don't want to read the Canterbury Tales. Like we're, we're, we're fine. <laughs> Can we just talk about our feelings? That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating that you said that one of the trusted adults is sometimes like the campus security officer. I think I have a theory. Um, oftentimes students that are uncomfortable at home and this is totally like just me painting a picture but um we'll get to school early right like i have a lot of students oh that yeah get to school early and when you're at school early you don't have that many options one of the things you can do is you can go to a, a teacher's room before the bell i do not have i used to say i was going to be the teacher that had my door unlocked before school 
I'm not because I'll go insane, right? Like I can't, I can't have my door open at 6 a.m. I need a minute, right? right? I need a minute to listen to Green Day real loud before you all come in. (laughs) Um, But if you're there, right, if you're just on campus early, you're just wandering around, the people, the adults that are going to be around are campus security, right, or or, um, custodians. And so you end up just having, if you don't feel comfortable talking to all of your peers, you don't have a really strong core group, you're going to have these other just adults that are wandering around um, and you, I'm sure you can find some that, that can be there for you or that, that are willing to listen to you. Um, and I think about like, if I'm there before school, it's going to be the campus security officer is the one that's around. I think that the campus security officer, for that reason, for a lot of kids, um, those kids who are like, I'm just getting out of here because I just don't want to be at home. Uh-huh. Um, and then I also think a bunch of my kids are like, my, I call them my kids, just, uh-huh. you know, they're, they're my client kids yeah um, i got you uh and they are the kids who get busted for smoking pot in the bathroom and to be able to get busted by the campus security officer and then come back and for the campus security officer to say like it's really cool to see you like it's good to see like how are you doing how was like how's it going how does how's the whole thing shaking out for you right so it's like i can hold you accountable and we can still have a relationship yeah. Right. There's not a shaming in it. Absolutely. I certainly have met some crappy campus security officers, too, though. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's we talk about there being good and bad school counselors. Like my the school camp- counselors at my campus, I could not survive without them. We have amazing counselors, but I know that's not the experience at every school. And so, it, yeah. And especially when it comes to like really specific community questions, like if you've got a trans kid that that is going in for help and you've got a Someone who just does not, it's not very literate in LGBTQ plus issues, then then it can be a more frustrating experience than a helpful one. For sure. I've definitely had conversations with school counselors that's like, hey, before we have this meeting, could we talk about um, how we're going to talk about these things so that um, you don't end up hurting this kid's feelings again? And they're like, what? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, that's a good thing that's been happening. And I think we can talk about it. And like... Nobody wants to be that person, the person who does the hurting. Um, but it's just a, like they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And school counselors don't really get a, like a gender studies class at any point or queer studies class unless they are part of the community. They probably don't know a lot. It's certainly not like ongoing training, right? It's not a thing that either, even if they got the one class when they were, because I remember taking a class and specifically in like just marginalized communities as a whole. So LGBT was like a subsect of a subsect. Um, it's certainly, it, it's been maybe a decade since the last time they talked about it. And there are more letters in the acronym than there used to be that they don't even, I think what you said, what you don't know, what you don't know. Like no one goes into school counseling hoping to destroy children. Right. right. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, it's I cannot goal. wait to decimate this child. In, in an hour. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you're, the, the heart of it here is that there's just not training. There's not, if you aren't actively a part of this community and you aren't actively trying to figure this stuff out on your own and you're, you're, you know, especially in a smaller school, high school, middle school, where you might only have a handful of kids that are part of this community that are coming to you anyway, it seems less urgent, I'm sure. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's been something that I've been working on really hard in my district is trying to get us more consistent training so they're able to have these conversations. So it's not, you know, just the emotional support English teacher who's helping LGBT kids. 
I do trainings for schools around here all the time. Um, and like the number one question I get in their teacher trainings, they're not just school counselor trainings, is, um, okay, what do I do when this kid is like exploding or like getting super upset with me because I've misgendered them, right? Like, why do they take it so personally? Why can I, what do I do about that? I always say like, I'll get to that. But first, here's all this other information uh, and why it's better to just not misgender them. Like, how do we get that part down? But like, this is same districts. I go to the same districts every year and I have the same questions every year. And I mean, it's not always from the same teacher, but this, the idea is the same. Like, how do I just get through this? Right. And I think it comes back again to that. Like, how do we, how do we foster that curiosity so that we can get to a place where we can really see the kid standing in front of you. That should be your first goal. Your my it shouldn't be how do I get through this? It should be how do I how do I understand this child and learn what this child needs and and how to foster and grow this kid. Like how do I do that? That should be the thing that I'm most interested in. And if we're not ready, if we're not excited about being there and being a, a good supportive adult for every kind of kid we could possibly have. Like, what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Okay, so that concludes part one of this interview. You don't have to wait for part two. It's ready. It's ready to go. Start streaming it now. But if this is where you're leaving us, thanks for joining us for camp today. We hope that this conversation with Flint has provided you with valuable insights and tools to create a safe and supportive space for your trans kids and the trans adults they need in their lives to show them that they will be absolutely fine and that what they are experiencing is absolutely normal. If you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're on Facebook as Wild Heart Society, as well as we have our private group, Camp Wild Heart Community. We're on Instagram as wild.heart.society, and you can email us directly at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Also, if you're looking for someone to work with your family Wild Heart Society offers a wide range of services from individual and group therapy to community events and family transition coaching. We would love to hear from you and continue the conversation. All of us here at Camp Wild Heart, listeners and counselors, are here to support you, so don't be a stranger. Thanks to Flint for sharing their time, skills, and energy with us. You'll be hearing from them again here in the future, but take a minute and watch some of the content they've created. It will give you some really powerful insights into what it might be like to be a trans adult. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that everyone who needs us knows that there's a monk for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.